right, guess who's back? Big Ten is back. Another crazy, wild, and woolly uh, college football week in the books. And uh, we saw a little, of, a little bit of everything, the good, bad, and ugly when it came to the Big Ten. Uh, we've got our coaches with us, uh, Dory Bennett and Scott Ligo. Uh, Dory, Scott, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, doing doing well. It was another exciting uh, Saturday for for football on all levels. Well, I know uh, a team that's near and dear to uh, Scott's heart, uh, Penn State, number eight, coming into the game. Uh, Penn State against the Hoosiers of Indiana. When we say Hoosiers, uh, the first thing I think about is basketball. But apparently their football team did quite well. Scott, um, just overall, before we get into some of the specifics of the game, uh, what were your thoughts? Um, Unfortunately, you know, to be quite frank and honest, from a coaching perspective, it was kind of an ugly game for most of the most of the game. No team really wanted to seem to want to take over and win the game right away. And um, statistically, it looked like you know if you were if you were looking at statistics about third quarter, it looked like Penn State was winning it, but they were actually losing it. Um, you know, uh, they had a couple field goal tries, missed those. Some interesting uh, call on a special teams blunder from a punt and uh, gave, uh, you know, an extra shot for Penn State to uh, get the ball back. And uh, um, just a kind of a crazy game, a lot of turnovers, different things happening in the game and just overall general, uh, you know, kind of a blase game until the last, you know, two minutes, three minutes of the game and things just uh, all of a sudden ratcheted up and went into overtime. And uh, on what I you know, would argue is a controversial call at the end of the game to end it. And uh, we can, you know, talk specifics about that later. But uh, overall, uh, just a game I just didn't feel like either team looked very sharp and uh, was, you know, really looked like the team that they were number eight in the country or number eight, 15 or whatever uh, Indiana was ranked. Uh, Dory, is, is this something that we kind of expect? And I guess it's to both of you, but uh, Dory specifically here. Um, we, we've seen what happened with the other Power Five, power five teams. Uh, I'm sorry, leagues that have happened. They, they came back in September. Uh, going into Saturday, the number of penalties, interceptions, fumbles per game in FBS contests were all up compared to last year, right? You know, block kicks were up 57%. Um, we've seen a lot of sloppy play, and we know that has a lot to do with what has happened with our planet, our world, our everything that's been happening around COVID. So were you surprised, even though you know we are surprised by some of the results that happened with the scores yesterday, but are we really surprised that we saw such a crazy, sloppy, you know, three first half turnovers, 10 penalties, uh, the, the kicker missed two field goals after only missing one in 2019? Are we really surprised about the sloppy play that we saw yesterday? No, I think it, it should be expected. I was surprised at, you know, there are teams that we know that that uh, generally come out their first game and are solid. And I think the unexpected piece was that Penn State is normally that team that comes out strong. And the fact that they had three turnovers in the first half and those turnovers led to Indiana points, um, that really turned the tide. And and the second half, Penn State came out, and it's the team that we would expect them to have to be on on the field. It really was. And the reason, you know, that it went to overtime is because Indiana just didn't give up. But I think that just overall, um, turno- high turnovers, high penalty numbers are to be expected. Um, it just feels like 
we weren't going to see that this time only because we're already into the season, right? We're already halfway into what would normally be the football season, and we wouldn't be seeing these kinds of mistakes. So, yes, it was a surprise, and especially by some of the teams that are normally not the ones that are – that have high penalties and and turnovers. Yeah, Scott, I mean, what, what was your impressions, at least from the first half and then uh, going into the second half of what you were witnessing? And I know your uh, your stepson uh, was uh, quite agitated, to say the least, about what he saw on the field. Uh, just give us a, a little uh, story behind that. Well, you know, uh, just offensively, they just, you know, uh, kind of the same nagging issues they had last year. Uh, not getting down into the you know red zone and putting it away and scoring points and uh, no rhyme no reason. There were a couple times where they just you know ran right up the gut and just got shoved back and I just didn't quite understand. I put more things on to the edge with those guys. I mean their their quarterback had 109 yards rushing. Um, even felt like uh, you know that later in the game when they had a chance to score you know down the goal line. I felt like they on the fourth and one they just gave it to the back and he just drove straight ahead. So. Um, in regards to, you know, special teams play, obviously, you know, missing two field goals, one hitting the, the crossbar. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, Dory, I'm not sure that not many coaches in the country probably would have ever heard that rule, but I, I actually caught me off guard too. And I'd like to even have a better understanding about how that works when the punt goes out of the bounds and the guy sliding on the ground is like a wide receiver goes out of bounds, but then comes back into play, but now he's deemed an illegal participant versus a wide receiver who gets kicked out, who gets knocked out of the line of play, gets back and things. As long as he reestablishes himself, he can be a part of the play. So that was an interesting call. I don't, I mean, I, I, I would highly doubt that many coaches knew that rule, uh, which again, helped Penn State avoid a huge blunder in the game. But, uh, but it's, it was, uh, it just wasn't real clean. And, um, you know, and like to Jory's point, I mean, I wasn't expecting a you know a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but you'd also see some of these teams that are putting up some pretty incredible numbers from South you know uh, Central Florida, who's uh, you know got like 400 and like 646 yards average on offense. I mean, it's pretty crazy to see some of these guys what they're doing already at this part of the season. And I get it. And again, to Dory's point, this is the first game of the year for these guys, even though it feels like we're at the halfway mark, and it'll be the same thing for the Pac-12 in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, how many mistakes that they can limit uh, going into these games. So, um, and then, you know, to, to the finish of the game, it was frustrating. You know, obviously, um, again, I would like, I'd like, like to have a, a, a tete-a-tete with some con- officials to explain to me how, <laughs> how the last play of the game works, because I'm still confused by that one personally. But, uh, you know, I'm not here to talk about sour grapes. The end of the game is the end of the game. And, they made the call and, and it went that way. And to be quite frank and honest with you, if the running back would have never scored and just went on a knee, um, that would have uh, ended the game and uh, for Indiana too. So there was blunders all about. And, uh, you know, I know, Will, you, you were texting me during the game. It's a coaching matters about, you know, their next subject matter. And I think, unfortunately, that blunder kind of relies onto the Penn State staff and, uh, um, you know, and even though he's my stepson, I mean, I think it's, and I know they, and I know for a fact that they were telling, they told the kid not to score and he still goes and does, doesn't, is it natural instinct just to go or just not understanding it? I, I don't know. And I, I know nobody, nobody will know that now. So. 
I, I got a question. I got a question here, uh, Dory. Listen, you know, Penn State. I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on what you just said, Scott. He said, "quote unquote," we went through that situation this week in practice, and we went through that situation on the sideline, and obviously we could have handled it better. What we wanted to do was get as much as you can and get down. Dory, we're playing a game. Right, Devin Ford goes on a 14-yard touchdown run. It looks like he realized it right before he uh, scored that he was going to stop. It kind of reminded me of the play that happened with the Giants and, and the Patriots when uh, the, uh, Ahmed was uh, trying to stop himself from going in. Momentum ca- carried him in. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. Why didn't James Franklin just take a knee? I, I, am I wrong in thinking Indiana had one timeout left? Why didn't Franklin just take a knee? Why, why are you putting it on the hands and, I, and say, oh, go go get four or five, maybe six yards, and then sit down? Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's what uh, Coach Franklin was saying, you know, after the game, is that when he said we could have handled it better, he was taking ownership for, for, for making a mistake on a call when you're understanding the down and distance and the circumstance of the game that's called situational football. And I know they practice it. They have to. You can't be successful in Division One football and not practice situational football, whether it's the coaches going through their what their roles are during situational football, uh, whether it's the players, and then making sure that communication happens. So somewhere the communication got was dropped, and maybe the conversation was, uh, we'll do that after this play. But as we saw, by not doing it when it seemed the best time to let the clock run, take a knee down, force Indiana to take their last time out, that's situational football. So live and learn. And hopefully they'll be better prepared because they have Ohio State next week. Scott, thoughts? Yeah, it's uh, – it's, uh, again – it's exactly you. You worked on it. You thought you'd gotten it prepared. You thought your running back had their instructions. You felt like the team had it done. Um, you know, as of being a former coach, it's easy for a lot of people to always play the you know the after. It's easy to do that. Um, you know, when you're in the in the in the heat of the fire, sometimes things just get missed. You know, um, yeah. and and it's, it's it's unfortunate. It's a bad deal. It's not good. Um, they should have won the game, uh, you know, for for all intents and purposes in the regular in the in the regular part of the game and not have to even go to overtime. But it is what it is. And, uh, you know, tips to uh, Indiana. They win a big, huge yeah. game after like 25 years of not being a, a top 20, you know, 25 team. So, uh, you know, and Allen's done a good job over there uh, running his program. And, uh, you know, it just shows you the Big Ten is, is it's a good it's a good league and uh, you better be prepared every week and to uh, you know to not have to emphasize it you know Ohio State is coming and uh, it's not going to be the whiteout next week it's going to be the whiteout with a lot of pop ups uh, pop outs and uh, so that'll be it'll be a different experience for that but uh, and from what I saw from Ohio State uh, uh, you know they better make sure they got you know the DBs are ready to go because they're going to throw the ball. And, and Justin Fields and the whole nine yards. So they look pretty, pretty, pretty good to me in the morning. Let's give some kudos. Okay. So Devin Ford, let, let's be clear. Penn State goes and takes a lead, no, no matter how they spin the clock. Michael Penix Jr., the sophomore quarterback, had to go down the field. He was seven for seven. He made two incredible throws with defenders in his face where he got popped, one on the sideline and one up the middle. 
on that drive, goes in, scores on a one-yard touchdown run, and then an incredible job on the two-point conversion to make the defenders miss for him to get in. You know, we could say anything we want about time management and could have, should have, but the, the reality is this Indiana team, which had done nothing, 1.6 yards per carry on the day, 1.6 mm-hmm. yards, goes down the field, 7 for 7, incredible throws, and gets uh, his team in the end zone and forces an overtime. I thought Michael Penix Jr. played an incredible game, especially down the stretch. Couldn't agree more. I think he he did he he turned it on when he had to. There's no doubt about it. I thought uh, you know to be honest with you, those two back-to-back uh, sacks by Shaka Tony uh, late in the game. I thought that was going to be it. It was going to be wrap the thing up and you know go get to go home. And uh, you know uh, just you know he did he when he had to perform he he performed that's for sure. And you are absolutely right because you know I, I would even say that a couple couple of those catches those kids made i would almost argue that probably the penn state kids were there a little, even a little early so uh you know you said kudos to their receivers and to their quarterback for making the plays when they had to make them dory the force overtime uh both teams score indiana yeah. says all right i'm not playing this game with penn state we're we're gonna we're we're going for the win. Uh, even the coach uh, oh. had mentioned in his uh, press conference saying, um, "I've lost too many games like this by going mm-hmm. tick for tack and back and forth. I'm not doing that. I, I was going for two, and we were going for the win." Um, let's talk about uh, Dory. Bring you know, mention yours first, <laughs> and then uh, Scott jump in. Uh, what were your thoughts on the two point conversion uh, to win the game in overtime? Well, I'm on, I'm on my couch going, you can't be serious. Like, you cannot be serious. And there are two trains of thought, right? There's two pieces of thought on this. One, you have the momentum to keep it rolling, and quote-unquote, you're at home. So those are generally what takes a coach to, we're going for two and we're just going to win it this time. It did give me flashbacks to a Husky overtime win over Oregon State when Mike Riley uh, got the Husky, got the Oregon State, it was overtime, and it was the first overtime. Oregon State ties it up and scores, right? And then they decide to go for two. Don't get it. Dogs win in overtime. So those are your those are your two outcomes, right? It's game on the line, win or lose, and. It, it looked like it was going to go down to uh, a bad decision for Indiana to go for two on their first overtime because you don't have to. You can just go for one and then line it up and do it all over again. So I, I was surprised. However, it, it's generally not the choice of, of most coaches, but he put it out there. He put it on the line. He gave his players the, what he thought was the best opportunity to win the game and be done. And so – Kudos, man. Kudos. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think that, you know, the, the general rule is, you know, when you're at home, you just keep playing overtimes. When you're on the road, you go for the two to to win it because you're just in a hostile environment. I think Coach Allen kind of probably saw that Penn State from the second half on was maybe starting to pull away and starting to make things happen. And so I think he just said, "Hey, well, you know, let's let's roll the dice and let's make it happen. Let's go." And uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, like Dory says, man, kudos to him. I mean, that's a lot of guts because there's going to be a lot of angry parents that you're going to have to deal with because you're at home 
if you don't get that play. So, um, you know, and fans and all the whole nine yards, it's, you know, it's like, again, again said, it's easy to do the double guessing, but when you're getting paid those dollars to make those decisions, that's what you're, what you're there for. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, the call that, you know, the play alone by itself, we can talk about, but that, you know, yeah, please go ahead. For, no, what I'm saying is the win for Indiana and the call by coach Allen, you got to give it to him to, to, to say, Hey, we're just going to end this thing. Cause we, I don't think we can do this for six overtimes, 10 overtimes, whatever. I think he just felt like, man, we either make this happen because we got momentum right now because of the last two minutes of the game and do it. Um, so, you know, kudos to him. As far as the last play of the game, I, you know, this would be my only question of the whole thing without having to get tick for tack. And I know, and it's in, generally it's the way it's handled. And I think Joe Clatt brought up a mention today too, about um, talking about the way we judge, um, you know, the, the helmet to helmet collisions. And I think the same thing with this, you know, in the review, the review process says, is there evidence to overchange the, the call? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. But the, the call that's on the field is going to stand unless there's evidence to do it the other way. My only position, my only question as a coach, not as a, not as a diehard Penn State, my son's coach is there, all that kind of stuff, is how can a play be legal when the ball is literally on the out of bounds? That's all I got. I mean, it's my only question I want to know. And I know if you do the time frame quickly, it looks like maybe it's the same time the pylon hits the ground the same time, but I saw it when I when you slow it down, I felt like it hit ground first, then pylon. But again, not probably enough evidence for the guys upstairs to overturn it. Uh, but I think it's something that they need to think about in the mechanics of the thing. And again, going back to the rule of the rule, it. I mean, I, I never knew that. I mean, if I was a high school coach, you know, I'd just start telling my kids, just hey, aim for the out of bounds and hit that pylon. And, uh, you know, we'll, 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 li- we'll live with, we'll live with the result after that. Um, so it's an inch, it was an interesting rule to see it happen. And, uh, you know, and again, it depends on what view did you get. Do you have had red eyes or do you have blue eyes? Uh, you'd see how that pylon got hit first or second. So, yeah. um, you know, again, it's, it's easy to be up there to be the naysayer when you, when you have the, the, the advantage of watching it in slow mo motion and at the on this field but uh again kind of the what the kind of the mechanics are what bothers me and uh, uh you know you, you know, the you know penn state's going to lose a player lucetta next week for the first half of the ohio state game because he got kicked out of the game for a hit and i felt like that one to be honest there was one another one where i felt like his the, the head is just part of the game and i felt like he came in with the shoulder and yeah his helmet came across the kid's helmet but i don't think he tried to lead with the helmet and i think that's a huge difference and so um, then, um, that's, that's about all I could say on the play. You know, you know, it is what it is. Dory, any thoughts on, on the, play? the overtime? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, on, on that play, there was one more piece that was being discussed as, as we watched it. And that was, did the ball break the plane? Uh, did the tip of the ball break the plane before, uh, it looked like it went out of bounds and, then also touch the pylon. So that was just one more piece that I was under the impression was being considered when they were discussing the replay and could could it be overturned? And it, it, man, it was it, it was very very close, um, and it depended on the viewpoint that they took as far as the view of the replay uh, um, on that one. Originally, I thought the ball was out of bounds. I was looking at out of bounds to the pylon, 
And originally, I thought the tip of the ball was at, touched the out of bounds before it hit the pylon. But the other part they were looking at is the plane. Did it cross the plane before it touched the out of bounds? So that was just one more piece they were using to see if they could, if it could be overturned, if there was enough information to overturn. I love the statement that uh, Scott mentioned about the, you know, whether you're viewing things with your red eyes or blue eyes, because that will determine uh, what the outcome was of viewing that play. Um, it'll be great to, to, if the college football game, game could incorporate the pylon cam, uh, first of all, because we would see if that ball, the tip of the ball crossed the plane. And I, I don't think it would even come down to the fact that, um, you know, we're viewing it from the end of the play where it, to me it was clear if we're just viewing it from the end of the play that the ball was out of bounds before it hit the pylon. So the only way it would be a touchdown would be the fact that it crossed the, the plane before we even got to that point. But like Scott mentioned, the rules are set up in a way that they're going to favor the call on the field. And they need strong evidence, clear evidence to overturn it. So when it came down to that play, listen, if you're a Penn State fan, right, and and we're looking at the game and we saw, we saw you know, the game, uh, really tale of two halves and, and the way it played out. You know, Penn State shouldn't have been in that situation anyway. So uh, just your last thoughts on, on the Penn State game, uh, Scott, before we, uh, we we move on. Well, it's pretty simple. <laughs> you, 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 can, you can sit around and feel sorry for yourself very long, but this uh, team in Scarlet and Crimson are coming uh, this weekend into your place. And um, they're, you know, <laughs> Ohio State is a legit, you know, top four team. So you either, you know, there's no, no time to feel sorry for yourself. You got to, you know, figure it out and get yourself better and, and hopefully, as you know, a lot of coaches say, from week one to week two, you improve. Uh, hopefully, oh, uh, Penn State can answer the bell and make that happen. And in a, you know, a, like I said, a weird wide out game, but uh, the late game on Saturday night, and uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Indiana's first win in 33 years, not 25, Scott. It was uh, last time they defeated a top 10 opponent was number nine, Ohio State. So thank you for the segue with that. Uh, That was in 1987. They went on to have a record of eight and four. Um, Some of you might remember uh, they went to the Peach Bowl and lost to Tennessee. Running back uh, named Reggie Cobb. He played with the Jets and a couple other teams. He had a cup of coffee with the Jets. He was the MVP of the game and uh, old longtime head coach Bill Mallory that was with them for 27 seasons was the coach back then. So uh, Indiana, maybe these are good things to come. You know, maybe they get to that eight and four record and uh, see if they could get themselves in a bowl game with a great win and an exciting sophomore quarterback that is uh, very dynamic and athletic. Um, Scott, just to rub a little salt in the wound here. Over the past three seasons, FBS teams are 366-1 when outgaining their opponent by at least 250 yards. The one loss wow. yesterday, Penn State in Indiana. Anyway, nice. moving on. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Don't share that with Joe, okay? We're not no, doing any of that stuff. Not. None of the coaching staff. Anyway, listen, man, well, I was excited. You guys were making fun of me. I'm texting over here. I'm like, holy cow, the Scarlet Knights have defeated the Spartans of Michigan State 38-27. to I doubt any of you saw it. Did, did any of you guys watch the game? A, a portion of game, some of the game. <laughs> I flipped over a couple of times. Dory? Yeah. I... <laughs> uh, 
to the Rutgers game? The yeah. Rutgers, Dory's like, hell no. you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Pardon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I did. I flipped over and started watching after we got that text from you. And I thought, okay, so either, e- either something got transitioned translated incorrectly in autotype. She said Rutgers? Right, in did he text on the, Rutgers? On the text she sent, or I needed to check this out. So absolutely. I love absolutely it. Absolutely went and checked it out. And Rutgers looked good. Like, like the, Greg Schiano has them rolling. You know, that that's when uh, I texted uh, Scott. I said, uh, coaching matters. And it, and, it, and it was exactly that. It was looking at this Rucker team. I mean, in nine Big Ten games last season, they scored a total of 51 points. They had 38 yesterday. They scored a total of six touchdowns in nine Big Ten games last season. They had five yesterday. I mean, even if you're not a Rutgers fan, right? It's just good to see these kids not get beat up. We've looked at this team get beat up week after week since they've joined the Big Ten. Since they since they've gotten into the Big Ten, they have gotten beat up. Not like losing close games; they've been blowouts. So just to see the kids, and you know, it, whether you're a coach of a team or not, it's just good to see some joy. You've got kids that've been with that program for four years, and I mean, I what what do they have? You know, one or two wins in in those four years for them to have a little bit joy to start the season, to say, hey, maybe things are different now. We've got a head coach. We know he's going to recruit. He's done some recruiting. He's gotten some transfers. His quarterback is a transfer quarterback. Um, and his goal, what he did the first time around, um, back, you know, going back when they had a great season in 2004 and everything leading up to them when he, he had the Ray Rices, the McCourty brothers, uh, all these different players that were coming out in, in uh, uh, Sanu, you know, all these guys that were part of that Rutgers programs, he was able to recruit. So I was just really happy to see Rutgers win uh, for the kids in that program. Yeah, I, I heard. That Rutgers, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Dory. Well, I think that Rutgers, uh, for a while, there, there was a lot of talk once they moved to the Big Ten that they should not still be a D1 program, that they need to go down a level to be competitive. And I think part of that was that the administration at Rutgers was not fully behind what it takes to be a D1 football program. And they've gone from the Big East to the Big Ten. Big difference. Big difference with the competition that that you have week in and week out in the Big Ten versus the Big East when it comes to football. Absolutely. I, I one of the things I heard was crazy. Will was that there was they had thirty transfers come into their program. That's so, crazy. You know, Shiano's willing to you know put himself in a little bit of gamble. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think his system. He's proved it once at you know Rutgers. I think his program in his program shows it again. Um, you know, just you know, I know he's a Belichick guy. So do your job. Coaching matters. Do all those things. And it, it, it can turn, and you know as well as anybody because you're from that area. There's a, That's a hotbed of athletes up in that area. You're not going to get them all. You're not going to always beat Michigans and the Penn States and Ohio State for those guys. But if you can do evaluation and evaluate those guys and get the Sanus, the McCordys, the Ray Rices into your program and, uh, make, and develop them, I mean, boy, that just shows you 
you know, where, where you can take your program and, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're just going to do it the old fashioned way. They're going to be fundamentally sound, do the right things, uh, you know, and do well. And on the flip side, you know, I, you know, I know there was a little bit of rumblings maybe back in the back, you know, walls of maybe some of the programs like Rutgers and Michigan state since having new coaches going through a COVID pandemic year really maybe didn't want to have to have a season because maybe they needed more time. So, you know, Mel Tucker, I mean, he's, you know, yeah, he's yeah he might you know i mean you went from a really proud program in d'antonio and michigan state and then uh you know it it, it, it got a little better at the end but shiano and records have taken a pretty good early lead and so my point being is that you know some other things might be shined on this light too i mean uh you know that uh some other programs might be like uh you know we don't need a Rutgers being strong if, if we're going to be struggling over here at michigan state so Good win for Shiano. Good win for the program. It's a great win for the kids, uh, more importantly. And um, McCordy was on the interview to, uh, I believe it was Jason, um, and he said Shiano will recruit well in the tri-state area, right? We're talking about New Jersey, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and, and probably uh, maybe still some kids from uh, Pennsylvania. And that's where you've lost a lot of kids, you know, whether it's the Jabril Peppers going to Michigan or some of these other high-level high athletes. And even if you don't get the four-star players, because you're absolutely correct, right? I mean, you're a four-star player is not going to give up an opportunity to go to a Ohio State or a Penn State, at least at this point. But if you could get those three-star players or those three-star athletes, that can come in maybe some of those athletes that other teams kind of say i like them but and you realize that the mm-hmm. kids got some skill could come out there whether it's a mike teal or, or some of these other guys have, have gone to the program that can win maybe they're, they're not nfl quarterbacks but they could be damn good college football uh quarterbacks and hopefully that's what he does um by the way the last time they beat michigan state was september 4th 2004 who was the head coach wow Greg Schiano. Anyway, those yep. are my useless numbers that I'd like to share with you guys. Anyway, uh, right. Jim Harbaugh's team looked pretty good against Minnesota uh, last night. Scott, what were your thoughts? Uh, well, the, I think the biggest news that they reported late in the third quarter of the game, which I know, uh, hope you two are sitting down, Coach uh, Harbaugh did not wear khakis last night. So that was Say a what? New, 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 he did not wear khakis, and Herb Street called them, he thinks his wife got him Lulimons. Because they look kind of little, little have a little fashion to them, and uh, he changed his cleats into sort of a boot look. So that was really the the big the, the big news on the sideline. But sadly, uh, if you're a Penn State fan, Michigan looked really, really, really good. They um, they looked very strong up front. They defensively they played well. Don Brown always has good defenses. Uh, the six five quarterback Hopkins is going to be good. He's he's uh, He's a good-looking kid. He was impressive. Uh, you know, they didn't. They knew he's an athlete. Uh, they developed him. He was Harbaugh's first real quarterback that he's had in the program. Uh, that he's actually recruited and brought in. You know, and brought into the the program. And uh, I think he made a right choice with that kid. He's a good-looking kid, and uh, they ran the ball well. Uh, you know, you thought that you know Minnesota being at home, uh, PJ Fleck with the job that he's done, but it was never in doubt. Michigan was in control of this game the whole time. Anytime um, Minnesota counterpunched, they just ran it right back down and went and scored again. And uh, and actually missed a couple opportunities where they could have really put it probably even more of a distance between the score. So it was an impressive win. I'll be honest with you. I was, uh, and I know there's rumblings about Michigan and about Coach Harbaugh because uh, he's his own agent. 
And he is, uh, you know, his contract runs out in 21. And so there's some rumblings in the back, but they also did say that the, from the pandemic that maybe he's, uh, there was going to be a, uh, the deal done, but, uh, you know, it's a good start for him. And, uh, you know, but we all know, and, and you know, especially the three of us, that you know, when it comes down to the bottom line, we you can be, <laughs> you know, three five hundred. But if you don't if you don't beat the team from down south, it really don't matter because uh, that's that's the real gauge. And he hasn't beaten Ohio State since he's been there. So uh, eventually, he will have to get over that hump, that hurdle to make sure that the uh, Michigan people are uh, happy with what his progress is. But th- it was an impressive win, that's for sure. Dory, do you have a comment on the the khakis? Because I know you were watching the World Series as as was I. I watched a little bit of the Michigan game uh, early on and just see the way that they were dominating. I switched over to uh, the World Series, uh, but more importantly, besides, I was I stopped listening to Scott as soon as he talked about him not wearing uh, khakis. I was just stuck on that. So, uh, any any thoughts on uh, on his fashion statement that his wife must have? I don't know. She she must have threatened him or something like that in order to get him to change. Well, I also think it looked like it was cold. And so I didn't know he didn't have the khakis on underneath whatever else he was wearing, right? Like, are, are, those, are, are those pants with fleece underneath? Are, are, are we starting rumors now? I, I have you know I'm, I'm pleading the fifth. I'm, I'm pleading the fifth. Okay. I don't know all that, but I just know it, it kind of had a fashionable look to it. All right. We got to check that so, out. We got to check it out. Yeah. Scott, you're in charge of that. Well, hey, man, if you, hey, you look good, you play good. Like you can That's go right. the same for coaches. You look good on the sideline. You coach good. Let's there you go. go with that. I like it. Unfortunately, for Michigan State, they've got Michigan next week. So it could Ooh. it could get if they had a hard time with the Rutgers, um, it it could get. A little scary, but we'll see, right? You know, uh, every week matters. Um, You know, we've seen uh, teams uh, upset other teams. And, you know, if you're part of any program, right, you just want a close game. Uh, Staying with the Big Ten, uh, Ohio State uh, looked damn good uh, against Nebraska. I was very upset in this game. I thought the first half, Nebraska did everything they could to keep it close. And then late in the second quarter, there were some terrible calls uh, by the officials, uh, which imagine that, uh, that really benefited Ohio State, and they scored off of those calls. Um, first off, uh, what, what were your thoughts on uh, Nebraska, Ohio State, uh, seeing the Buckeyes uh, rolling out week one and looking the way they did? Dory? Oh, I, well... As expected, right? They were as expected. They uh, they look like they're in midseason form already. Ohio State does, and and it shouldn't be a surprise, right? They have a lot of returning players back. Uh, they have Justin Fields in the running for the Heisman and every other quarterback award out there. Uh, he's you know behind behind Clemson's quarterback Trevor, but. In, in all in all honesty, they look really good, and their receivers. Oh my goodness, those those receivers run great routes, and they catch anything that's thrown to them. So I just think they look they look really strong. They look mid season form. Didn't make the mistakes that other teams made in their first in, in their first game. I think Nebraska looks better than they did last season when they ended their season. Uh, starting to get that program tur- turned back around. 
And when you play the big boys, Ohio State, you do need a little bit of luck. And I'm not sure that Nebraska had had much luck yesterday with, as Will, you were saying, some of the calls. Those damn zebras. All right, I'm all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Scott. What, what were your thoughts? They pissed me yeah, off, Scott. man. It was crazy. Anyway, go ahead. All right, I'm going to contain myself. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I just felt like Ohio State looked uh, pretty impressive coming out the gates. And, uh, uh, you know, they they're talented where they need to be. I mean, at the end of the day, we can talk to Justin Fields. We can talk all the wide receivers and all that kind of stuff. Your offense and defensive lines are really got to be pretty good. And they have a great offensive line. The defensive line well, wasn't as dynamic, obviously not losing Chase Young, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, but they also, you know, probably fill them in with a four or five star kid that's coming down the road. So they'll be eventually good. Uh, they were a little suspect early in the game, got it settled down. Uh, new defensive coordinator, um, Terry Combs is there now. And so that was, you know, probably a little bit of that. But, uh, you know, after, you know, settling down, they, you know, the, the cream kind of rises to the top. Uh, they just they just kind of pound on you. I mean, they've got they've got best of both worlds that they can do it offensively, uh, you know, spread the field, run around and then, you know, run their guys. And they got the transfer sermon from uh, Oklahoma and they got Master Teague, the other back, two big bruising backs. I mean, they, they got a one two punch. And so uh, it's an impressive group They're uh, they, they were on all all points yesterday in the game. And I think Coach Day is a, one of the elite coaches in the country. Yeah, um, they were impressive, especially on uh, on third down. They were eight for thirteen and uh, two for two on fourth down. Justin Fields, almost a perfect game, twenty of twenty one, two hundred seventy six yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he looked fantastic. And as the weeks go by and we start looking at these great quarterbacks that Trevor Lawrence has, and shout out to guys like Dylan, uh, Dylan Gabriel. You mentioned him uh, for UCF. They're playing incredible. In fact, Gabriel has the most passing yards in the nation. His wide receiver, his name escapes me, has the most uh, receiving yards in the nation so far. It's, it's hard to keep track of these numbers because of the staggered season. So it's almost kind of like you got to wait for the end of the year to see, see the way everything kind of uh, plays out. But um, Justin Fields is kind of exactly what we thought he was going to be coming in, and he didn't disappoint. Another kid that played great, and pretty much anything you can do, I can do better. Uh, Wisconsin uh, defeated Illinois, and uh, their quarterback, a redshirt freshman, Graham Mertz, uh, 20 of 21, 248, and five touchdowns. Um, Absolutely incredible. He replaced uh, the starting quarterback. They used to be Jack Cohn. Uh, he had that non-contact injury just, I believe it was like two weeks ago. That he had the foot surgery. He's out for the year. This kid comes in and throws five touchdown passes, uh, ties to a program record for most in the game along with Jim Sorge in 2003, and a guy that you guys will remember, a guy named Daryl Bevel in 1993. So wow. an incredible day for the redshirt freshman. Yeah. That's fantastic. Ah, we're good. I, I think you wrapped it up there, Will. That's that's some great information and and people are putting it down with record setting games and and personal best this year so far. It's it's it's, it's exciting to watch. Yeah, I I think the thing is it really comes out and becomes evident the whole thing is um, you know, the evolution we've talked about a little bit last week and stuff like that is, you know, the game has just changed. It's the evolution of offenses and you have to, you have to make a part of your game and, and who you are and what you're about. And these guys are great at spreading the field, forcing you to defend all 53 yards across. And, 
um, it's it's impressive, man. It's it's and it's if you get the kind of athletes at Ohio State's, the Alabamas and the Clemsons get and spread them around the field, it's it's hard to defend that field, and uh, it's impressive that this young man, from what I understand, is the highest recruited uh, quarterback out of uh, to, to come to, to Wisconsin. And you know, if you're, it was interesting. I heard uh, podcast this week where it said he was a prolific uh, spread uh, uh, offensive quarterback in high school, and I thought to myself. Why would you, if you're a spread guy, go to Wisconsin? Because I'm pretty sure they're going to line up with those five hogs up front and about three tight ends, and they're going to run the ball down your throat. Uh, but it also goes to show you if uh, it can help out your passing acumen when you can throw for five, because there's a thing called play action pass when you're Wisconsin that looks pretty good. And a yep. guy named Russell Wilson did it pretty good when he was there too. So it's a, it, it's it's a it's a definitely a recipe that works. That's for sure. And unfortunately, and they do go ahead. Well, just just with um, Graham Merch has some really good targets, right, in this passing game. And Wisconsin is one of those teams that's starting to use their tight ends for as the multi-dimensional position re- requires and requests. Sometimes they were in a they had three tight ends in three. And, and many times they, and then they'll put one in motion and then they'll have one guy block and the other guy goes down. And, and because of their receiving tight end acumen that they have on for Wisconsin, they have a, they have, uh, two red shirt freshmen that start. They have two red shirt sophomores that start. And, uh, one of the red shirt freshmen is the son of Todd Rucci, lineman from the New England Patriots there we and go. a Penn State. All-American. Yeah, the Penn State All-American. So Hayden Rucci started his first game uh, yesterday, and, and as well as the other redshirt freshman, Clay Cundiff. So, people, Graham Merch is awesome. He also has some great weapons. And Wisconsin has a great environment, team environment, that uh, people are going to pull to go there. It's uh, it's it's quite impressive. Uh, by the way, uh, congratulations, Nebraska, because you've got Wisconsin. So you had Fields this week, <laughs> and now you've got Wisconsin coming in next week. So the Cornhuskers uh, enjoy all of the sleepless nights, you coaches, just like everybody else that lost this week. Yeah. You know, if you won, you get maybe an extra hour of sleep, you know, during the week. You're feeling yeah. good and you kind of relax. I'm pretty sure an Indiana coach and that staff said, hey, guys, why don't you take the night off and go go, go kiss some babies and hug your wives. But uh, for the teams that lost and uh, especially a team like Nebraska that now has, uh, who would have known, right, this offensive juggernaut uh, come in. So that, That'll be fun. And by the way, just to tie it in all together, the two both went 20 for 21. They had the second highest completion percentage ever in Big Ten history with 95.2. The kid that has the highest is uh, Tanner Morgan. Last year, he played for Minnesota against Purdue. He went 21 of 22. So uh, enjoy Nebraska. Have some fun. Um, a guy that's not having any fun, even though his team won, uh, Nick Saban, uh, Alabama wins 48-17 over the Vols. Uh, Tennessee, man, they have a rough schedule coming up. But on the first play of the game, the opening kickoff, they lose uh, Alabama wide receiver uh, Jalen Waddle. He's uh, arguably uh, considered one of the top prospects in uh, uh, next uh, NFL draft. Um 
uh, just a, a tough loss for the kid and seeing him go down. We didn't know, we knew it was not going to be a competition against Tennessee, but you lose one of the better players and we're college football fans and we like to see talented kids on the field. We're not going to see him for the rest of the year. Well, yeah, I was... felt it, it's sad, right? Like it's, it's awful for this player. It really is. And I heard and was told and read that some of Saban's remarks were, were really, I felt like he threw his player under the bus. I'll read, I'll read you that quote. The player for getting injured. I'll, I'll read you the quote. He said he's. This was at halftime when he came out. He told uh, he told them and said he's done. He's he's got an ankle injury. And you know, if you watch the game or at least the beginning of the game or the highlights, uh, ambulance came out in the field. So you know, anytime ambulance or anybody's coming out, a cart is coming to get you. Um, you know, he's he's not doing well. He said he's a great player, exciting for college football. I hate it. But you're not supposed to bring the ball out that deep in the end zone. But he's a great player, and you have to let him use his judgment. So that was the statement from uh, Saban at halftime. Yeah. Again. Okay. The kid's in a bad enough situation right now. And and I just feel like Saban has done that before with players that got hurt. I mean, even with Tua. Even when Tua got hurt. Right? He did take a little bit of responsibility, but he said, hey, look, when he's in there, he, he needs to make better decisions. I was just like, are you kidding? I don't know. I think it's really unfortunate, but maybe that's David showing us who he truly is in his heart, man. Maybe he's not about his team. Saying. <laughs> yeah, it was um, obviously, to, to Will's point, that you know, it, it's it, anytime an ambulance shows up, and it was pretty ugly when I saw the replay of it. It uh, you could see it was kind of wobbling out there a little bit. So mm. uh, if you're not good to uh, see ugly. that kind of stuff, that was not not a fun thing to see. So hopefully, in God's you know prayers, he's in and he's going to have a good recovery. Um, but you know, you know, not to be crass or a jerk here, you know, the tough thing about Alabama is they just replace him with another four star or five star receiver. So I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously they put up 48 points and they just keep their thing going and they they have, they have a lost to Tennessee in 14 years and get to keep smoking their you know cigars after the game so um you know that 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 ship keeps just rolling doing what they're gonna do um Alabama's a machine Sark's got you know you know a lot of tools and a lot of things to get to play with and again you know you feel bad for the kid and that's part of the game and you know it, it's an, an issue that I thought about even before the start of the year I mean you know, as you you know, as we all know that the way it usually works, you play three lighter teams and then you get into your regular season stuff. These kids are going against the best of the best right away. And so the stress level on your body is a little bit different. You haven't conditioned right. You haven't done these things. And in the pros and in college, there's a lot of injuries that are going on. And, you know, it's kind of that question, you know, how do we train? Are we doing it right? Are we, you know, really helping these kids out? And that's an interesting thing to look at. It'll be interesting to look back on the season later kind of look at the numbers and how it worked out and how many guys had some, you know, serious injuries that we've already seen, uh, you know, come out this year. So again, uh, you know, prayers for the kid, uh, Coach yeah. Saban, you know, you need to maybe choose your words a little bit better, but if, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel sorry for Alabama because I just know what they're going to replace them with because they got so many good players down there in that football program. 
We talk about winning a lot, and that's what Alabama and the Crimson Tide does. But one head coach out there has done some winning against them. When he was with Ole Miss, he won two games, and he should have won a third, and that's Hugh Freeze. And he's got his flames out there in Liberty winning again. They are now 5-0 and as they defeat uh, the Southern Mississippi Eagles 56-35. Uh, Dory, I know you were interested in this Liberty game and the way they've been playing. What are your thoughts on that game? Well, a couple of thoughts. Um, uh, they're actually 6-0. and And the only reason I know that is because I kept getting, I thought they were actually 7-0, and so double-checked on it. And they're 6-0. and They absolutely shut down Syracuse last week, and then Syracuse gave Clemson a little bit more than they thought they were going to have to handle. So, and the quarterback from Liberty, seven touchdowns in the game. Six passing, one rushing. Uh, 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 man, he has turned this program around. And really, they've come out of nowhere. I think they're the surprise of the season. They're, they're the surprise of the season. Yeah, they're a great team, and and it starts with uh, with coach uh, Hugh Freeze, um, Scott. You know, you you've seen a lot of SEC football, and you know what what is something that stands out for you? The way he runs his offense, uh, going back to Ole Miss and a couple other stops. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Hugh Freeze and and what he's doing there with Liberty and that type of offense? Well, you know, he's one of the early you know guys, this tree that kind of came out from Hugh Freeze, Mike Norvell. Um, uh, the head coach of Auburn. Yep. Because uh, I'm losing my train of thought right there on him. But my point is, um, you know, it's kind of these these groups, these guys that were the, the, the original spread guys that got you know the RPO thing going. Uh, he's just been really good at it. Uh, you know, he's uh, you know he's he's good at spreading the field. He just knows what he's doing, and he puts you in tough situations. And he's got a good you know got done probably a good job of recruiting. Probably bringing some transfers in. Done a smart thing there. It'll be very interesting. The interesting part for this whole thing is is really the next step for Hugh Freeze. Will he be able to go back and get another big time job? Um, after his kind of debacle at Arkansas and, um, you know, even the controversial hire at Liberty and, um, you know, and, and even their president having to step down this past year because of his indiscretion. So it's, it'll be interesting scenario to see what happens with Hughes freeze, but obviously he's doing a good job and he knows what he's doing. And he's, you know, if, if you, if you know, offense, you just know it. I mean, look at Lane Kiffin, Sark, all these guys that just, they just, it's in their blood. They just really good at it. Um, it also helps when you have really good tools, i.e., you know, Sark down at Alabama. But my point is, uh, these guys are innovative. They're really smart and, uh, they just, uh, they've, they've just changed the game. And the game is, again, going back to our conversation last year, the game has just changed. It's a totally, if you're not an offensive head coach and not an offensive think guy like that, if you can't think the offense can't change, that you're crazy because that's just where it's at. You know, and I know that even at Penn State, one of their moves this year was to get Kurt Soraka from uh you know minnesota last year back over this year to get them their offense going at a higher rate and things like that so uh tips to the hat to hugh freeze and the program and uh you know uh i would probably think liberty's probably going to be in a little bit of hurt because i think there's going to be some some pretty major changes in college football this year too so a uh, guy that i think is going to do a good job you know down the road but it'll be interesting to see where he ends up that's for sure it definitely will, and uh, like you mentioned, he has brought in. Uh, you know, they they are from the FCS. They've now been 
or with the FBS, he said he's got about 30 to 40% of his roster is that FBS uh, type of uh, player, including the quarterback uh, that Dory mentioned, uh, Malik Willis. Uh, he's a transfer out of Auburn. Big kid, 6'1", 215, um, you know, running game along with the passing game. So it'll be interesting to see um, how they go along and uh, what's going to be you know, the, the outcome at the end of the season. But, you know, it's great to always talk about the teams that we don't necessarily talk about, right? So that's always yeah. great. Uh, one team that we always seem to talk about is Clemson, a team that they defeated 47-21 over Syracuse. The Liberty blew them out. They look really sloppy. Um, any concerns over the play, or is this just something that you looked at schedule, you saw the beat down, and you said, we're playing Syracuse, um, not really up for that game, which – Unfortunately, we know that's just the reality of life. Sometimes you just you just don't get up for opponents. Well, I think one of the things that we've seen with Clemson in the past, for the, the fact that they're in the ACC, which is not the strongest of the big five, and they really don't have much competition. And so, to me, I would expect them to still come out and play strong because This is about what they have to do every week, week in and week out. Be prepared. Play your best game. Don't be concerned about who the opponent was. And so there was a letdown. Obviously, there was a letdown. And Syracuse was, let's be honest, probably a little bit more into this game than they were the Liberty game. They're playing Clemson, the projected number one team in the nation once once all the, the rankings come out again. So... They were probably much higher to play for this when you're looking. And that's what football is, an emotional game. The highs, the lows, the everything in between. So I think I think Syracuse was playing out of their mind, and I think Clemson was caught off guard. Yeah, I, I echo the same thing. I think, you know, and I kind of relay it back to high school. You know, when I first got into coaching, I was at O'Day High School. And uh, we used to talk about this all the time. We we would we'd go scout a you know X team from the Metro League, and we would be like, oh my God, we're going to kill these guys. And when we mm-hmm. go play them, they would play the game out of their lives, and they would play yeah. way inspired and play really hard. So we always had to set the expectations to our kids. Like, listen, hey, they're they're coming to play the best, and they want to beat the best. They want to beat the big guy. So I think that's a natural thing. And you got to always remember too is Dino Babers a couple of years ago did beat Clemson in the in the dome. Yeah. So there's a little bit of maybe he knows a little bit about you know how to you know scheme a little against Dabo, but I also think that you know that you have to just have your standard and which you know look like an Alabama does uh, they just go out and they just do what they're going to do and they're going to do it really really well and they're going to give you the beat down so uh, but there's a natural I think you know let down naturally because number one you, you won the week before 73 to see seven and and then you're seeing you know Clemson or uh, Syracuse got beat by Liberty so bad you probably think yeah we'll just Go out there, do our usual warm-ups and knock this thing out. We'll be halftime, we'll all be hanging out. And then they realize they're playing in the third quarter and the other team is, is playing them. So, uh, you know, you always have to – the mental side is the part you have to always look at and how, how you go out and about and attack that and make sure your team's playing to the standard that you want to play out. 
All right, just real quick before we get to uh, Dory's uh, little segment here. Uh, Clemson is number one, uh, followed by Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, the surprise is probably Oklahoma State is six and Cincinnati at seven. Uh, BYU, number 11, as that quarterback out there continues to roll. A- another impressive week for him. Um, unfortunately, Penn State is dropped down to, uh, Scott, would you like to guess, if you were ranked number eight and had the loss you did where do you think where do you project them to drop down to i'd probably say in the uh 15 to 20 range that (laughs) that is wide you you nailed it right in the middle they are 18 they are 18 on the pole so one week uh has gone by for the big 10 and you've got movers and shakers with wisconsin all the way up to number nine and uh, penn state dropping down to number 18 and your favorite hoosier team is number 17 in front of penn state so we got a great segment dory um Obviously, she is a huge Washington Husky fan, and we've got our former Husky coach, uh, Scott, along with us. Uh, Dory, you got your segment here, uh, Where's My Dogs At? So we're going to bark. Anyway, that was terrible. Anyway, Dory, who is your dog? Where's your dog at, Dory? Hey, our dog, our dog is putting a stamp on it down with the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Buddha Baker. Buddha Baker is our, where's our dog at feature today. And, uh, Buddha has been absolutely amazing since he was taken number 36 by the Arizona Cardinals. But his, his claim to fame and his rise started way earlier. Bellevue high school. Okay, he was a high school All-American coming out of Bellevue and originally said he was a, he was a four-star recruit and he said, hey, I'm going to go be a duck. Then there was a coaching change at Washington. Yeah, Sark plays for USC. New hire, Chris Peterson, comes in. Mm, flipping the script. So in the last week before signing, Buddha decides to become a dog. Uh, there was some, there was some family reasons behind it as well. Um, his mother had had some uh, pretty serious health issues and his brother uh, was still incarcerated for a part of uh, he had an eight year prison term. And so um, when Buddha was 12, so that information all came into it and he said, you know, I'm going to stay home, be a dog. So, has an amazing career for the dogs. Uh, All-American. He was a freshman All-American. He was a Pac-12, uh, first-team Pac-12 two times in a row. And so he decides to forgo his senior season, enters the draft. Cardinals take him. And they've been happy with this pick, and so has Buddha. So has Buddha. He's a two-time pro bowler, and here's the best part. Last August. Buddha signs a four-year, $59 million extension with the Cardinals, making him the highest-paid safety in the league. Last week, and he's been making this payoff, but last week against the Dallas Cowboys, one of the pieces that's on Buddha's checklist is he had never had an interception. Well, he more than made up for it last week against the Dallas Cowboys. Had an interception. 
flying all over the field and really making an impact. He's definitely been a leader for the Cardinals since he got there. And uh, some of the inside pieces on, on Buddha. there are two sides to Buddha Baker. If you were to ride in his car with him to a game, you would not know it is the same dude we see on the field. He would be riding in his car to the game with the silky smooth voice of R&B artist Brent Fayez oozing from his car speakers. <laughs> However, moments before he hits the field, changes it up, laughs some rap into his eardrum, and at that point in time, that's the flip the switch that we all see on the field. But behind the scenes, he is laid back, humble, gives back to his community, has always been a team player from day one. And I think we're going to do nothing but continue to see him in the Pro Bowl. And he's a, le- he's a leader. But the best part about all of it is that uh, he is true to his family and understands that team always comes first. So that's our Where My Dog At feature, Buddha Baker. Love it. Love it. Uh, Buddha's taking on the Seattle Seahawks uh, Sunday night football down in Arizona. Um, he was the NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, Dory alluded to he had the seven tackles, sack, interception, a forced fumble against the Cowboys that are really, really struggling. But that's a conversation for a different show. Uh, the Pac-12 is back on November 7th, and the Huskies will take on the Golden Bears of Cal. Uh, next week, we will talk some Pac-12 uh, football little preview. We've got some changes, coaching changes. So it'll be the first time November November seventh that we're going to see some new coaches on the field. Scott, uh, as we wrap it up, what do the Nittany Nittany Lions need to do in order to beat the Buckeyes next weekend? Uh, well, uh, don't say pray. Prob- That's not that. No, don't no, say pray. No. <laughs> Praying is not it. Okay. Uh, they, yeah, they're they're gonna. The bottom line is they're gonna have to play really good defense. You know, turn it into a pretty low scoring dogfight. I don't know if they have the, uh, you know, the, the weapons to, to to get into a you know forty nine forty eight shootout with a program like that. Uh, so their defense is gonna have to play really really well, play better. Uh, the special team is gonna have to maybe come up with a possession or a, a game changing play. Uh, and uh, offensively, you know, they're gonna have to be much much more efficient. But uh, you know, the task is going to be big, but, you know, that's what the whiteout coming to Happy Valley and playing the, you know, storied program of uh, Penn State's all about. So, you know, uh, they're a prideful program, and I'm sure Coach uh, Franklin is uh, more than wanting to get on the field and improve himself back to what he can, what he is as a good coach and uh, do all the right things. But uh, one other little quick thing, too, I just not to uh, – I don't want to lose Dory. But I'm sure Dory knows that uh, yesterday Hugh Millen announced that he's leaving the Husky Honks. So I wanted uh, Dory to know that so that, you know, yeah. there are they might be looking for a third voice there, Dory. Just so I'm just giving you the inside scoop. So I put the know, dogs at. I mean, Where are my dogs you, at? You softy and uh, Dick Baird and, uh, you know, uh, they're, uh, you know, maybe even special guests is what they said. I think I think I saw on Twitter via that whole piece. So, uh, again, I don't want to lose you, but I just know that you're, uh, you know, your heart's with those dogs and uh, the husky honks might be looking for a female voice. As I they love say. it. So get your get your application ready, as they say. I love get it. Get your app in. Yeah. 
Thanks, Scott, for the inside scoop on that. There you go. There you go. Uh, Indiana's taking on Rutgers. Um, We'll see what happens with them. We'll root for Rutgers just because it's fun (laughs) and why not. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, a game that nobody cared about all of of a sudden has some intrigue, right? They're both programs are 1-0, so somebody's going to be 2-0 after next week. And who would have thought that Indiana or Rutgers could be 2-0 after the second week with Big Ten coming back? Uh, Dory, anything you're looking forward to or last thoughts as we wrap it up? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to be uh, dazed, amazed, and impressed by what we're seeing out there. And I like it when, the, when, those, unknown, when those unknown teams come up and and play hard play well and also uh the world series is tied at 2-2 this has turned in to a world series well there you have it thanks for hanging with us uh next week should be a lot of fun we'll get into that pac-12 conversation and see what uh what games will bring us we'll be very thankful for the games that come to us so thank you once again for college football uh we hope that the kids and staff stay safe and we will continue to enjoy the games uh dory bennett scott ligo thank you for your time thanks for listening to nyc we're out thank you will